0: Going back to the Talking Hedge, I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Yeah, So we got Rob Hendricks here. Um, He is a rec shop owner out in Central Washington in Ellensburg. Um, It's called uh, uh, Central Cannabis. Is that right? Strike it, reverse it. Cannabis Central. Okay. There we go. Cannabis Central. So Rob, thanks for being with us. You betcha. Glad to be here. So you're in a, uh, a university, right? You're in the middle of kind of a um, cowboy country, central, um, a lot of horses and rodeos and, and, and cowboys, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eat those college kind of college. Yep. So what kind of folks do you have on the average coming through? Is it soccer moms or is it the college kids? Yeah, well, now, of course, we're summer. Uh,
1: so we're the, the college kids have a lot of them have left. So. We get, we get an amazing variety. We get lawyers and real estate brokers and, uh, we get state workers, college workers. Um, we are all over the map. Uh, we range in age from 21 to 91. Uh, the 91 year old, we were doing curbside delivery for her before it was even, you know, something, a thing. And, uh, no, we're all over the place. We're all average age. We, we haven't done really a, a, an uns, one of our unscientific studies now for probably a year and a half, maybe two years with COVID, but we were running somewhere between 42 and 44 for an average age. Oh, wow. You know, which is really intriguing, which <laughs> is really intriguing. Um, and a lot of, uh, there are, there are people that want to come in and they just want to party. They just want to, they just want to get stoned, you know, But man, oh, man, there's a there's a heavy, heavy majority of people that are that they're dealing with something, you know, whether it's insomnia, anxiety, you know, digestive issues, migraines, menstrual cramps, pain, surgery, knee surgery, back pain, knee pain, hip pain, you know, um, it's it's really it's really incredible. The variety of products we have and the, the, the variety of ailments that we're able to treat, help people treat. Of course, that's we're not really supposed to say that, but that's what happens. Yeah, that's what your customers are telling you. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. Good, good, good catch.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. oh, he's a lawyer. He's a
1: lawyer. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay.
2: <laughs> but then, um, so do you have a rec license or is it a medical and a rec license? That a hybrid? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. So even in the uh, lane for the adult use, you know, recreational, there's still quite a lot of cons- customer reports that they aren't only buying it because it feels good. It's actually giving them an effect of some sort.
1: Yes, definitely. Definitely. So there's you a lot to- of,
2: There's a lot of conversations at
1: the counter about, you know, stuff, stuff in people's life. It's, un- it's unbelievable how many people are dealing, at least they believe they have to deal with things stuff um and it varies you know it varies a little bit you know people lose their jobs they people get sick people lose their parents um they get married they did life 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 happens you know and uh, but there's a lot of really really interesting conversations that take place across the counter you know and it's really cool it the there, there's there's really a history there for me because i when i originally got in this business it was kind of a It was kind of a concern about a pot job being in my little town. And I wanted some rule following fuddy-duddy to run it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was the business opportunity of it. And then very quickly, we opened August 20th. We're coming up on seven years, actually. We opened August 25th. By October, we had had, I just saw a different side of the industry because there were people that were coming in was one guy in particular a big big guy and he was wearing one of these reflective vests and um so he he couldn't he couldn't he he as it turns out he was a tow truck driver Mm. but he had a wife living at home in their little apartment who had had who was dealing with breast cancer lupus and had had several back surgeries so she was in pain all the time and if she took enough of her pain pills to deal effectively with the pain she was she couldn't do anything. She was just yeah. kind of sitting in the corner of the apartment. Well, he came in and uh, he said, Hey, is it he kind of explained the situation to us? And in October of 2014, it wasn't like we had the variety of things that we do now, but we had, you know, we had some blue dream. We kind of sold him some flour and told him how to, what to do with it and how to roll it into joints and this kind of thing. And um, so he took it and he just, uh, we told him, you know, this is not going to take the place of your pain your wife's pain meds we don't think but um you know maybe augment so you won't have to take as many of these pain pills and he came back about two weeks later big guy too this is a big guy big strong strapping guy six five probably 270 and he we waited till the place was empty closed the door behind him and then turned around to me and the bud tender it was just two of us at the time and he was crying he was absolutely bawling and he says in between the tears, he said, I played cribbage with my wife. Wow.
2: Does that make you feel good as a business oh, owner?
1: Oh, absolutely. It completely kind of changed my view. It didn't change my view, but it it definitely, you know, the, it was still a business opportunity. Yeah, I, I get all that. But it it just added so much to why we were doing what we were doing. Because the first, you know, six, eight months were were not easy. And we got yeah. a lot of crap in this little town, I can yeah. tell you.
2: So but, like, that, uh, that prejudice, the crap that this little town was giving you, oh, and you said seven years you're coming up, have you noticed, because we just re- interviewed Vivian McPeak on the prejudice toward the cannabis plant, have you noticed a decline over the course of the seven years that you've been operating uh, of that type of prejudice that was there? Well, yes. Uh, sadly, a lot of the changes of attitude have come because
1: of sickness and illness, uh, n- namely cancer, frankly. um. We've had a lot of people that, you know, it's pretty basic stuff. You know, if you can't, we, I don't necessarily, you know, we can't talk medically and we can't treat cancer and all this kind of stuff. But if we can help you eat and keep your food down, keep your energy level up, at least you can, at least you stand a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. If you can't eat, you have no energy, you sleep all the time. I mean, you're. It's, it's pretty basic stuff. We, we need fuel. And if you take in fuel and you can't, first of all, you want to eat, you have to want to eat. You have to have an appetite, pretty hard to force yourself to eat when you know, it's just going to come right back up or come out in 15 minutes. You know, that's depressing. You've already got enough to work with and deal with. Um, but if we, we, that's, that's been a, that's been a, a pathway to acceptance and some respectability. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as sad as that is, it's really true. I've had I've probably had 10, 12 conversations with people that they, they kind of apologized and they said, you know what, we, we kind of get it now. We kind of get what you're trying to do and you're doing a good job and we know that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's been sad in a, in, in a way, but yet that's, that seems to be our, our pathway to respectability and kind of mainstream acceptance.
2: you pretty much educated them by just existing as because that it's kind of funny how you you talked about the story of how this woman was taking all these pills and was essentially catatonic which when you say the word stone you know that's what most people picture someone just kind of like yes just stone like but that is stone from drugs that are actually pharmaceutical whereas he played cribbage with her when she had cannabis that's an amazing story man
1: no no it was a quality of life issue and 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 it And it really, it really clicked with me. It just, it really flipped me around. I, I had a completely different view of what I was sort of going to try to do and what, what good we could do. Um, And it, it really, it really changed things for me. It, uh, um, and of course, the more products, the more choices, the more, the, the variety, the quality, it's just gotten to be that much more and the and the and the sheer breadth of of ailments and situations that you know we can help people um yeah.
2: well your location, cool. your location like my, my, my partner here is not familiar with washington demographics and, and, and where you're at also is for lack of a better word very conservative with like republican type uh thinking uh I, Do you think though you're still breaking through that barrier by just being there right because that's probably a lot of the pushback you got was just these prohibition and thinking people you know
1: well it's an interesting town we're kind of like the country we live in right now because of like josh mentioned we have a college central washington university very very strong liberal you know presence yeah combined with the hay growers and the farmers and the ranchers and very conservative so you've got this interesting dichotomy going on um and, you know, and I, I never know when the first year or two, we were open, you know, I'd be at, I'd be at Albertsons, I'd be downtown, I'd be whatever. And somebody would, somebody, it was interesting how many times people made a beeline for me. You know, they, and I'm in the produce <laughs> section at Albertsons and all of a sudden here's this lady and I'm like, oh God, is this going to, is this going to be an attack or is, what is, what's going to happen? I I could never predict it. And it was really interesting. Some of the people that I would have thought would have had a problem with what I was doing, they were the ones that were, you know what? I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you for what you're doing. I'm glad you're doing this. I'm not real comfortable with the with cannabis and the industry, and whatever, but I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're doing it. And I'm proud of you for, you know, taking the risk and and and, and taking the hits, you know, out there to do this. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Thank you. And then other times I'd see somebody that I would really think would be understanding and supportive and they would come at me, man. I, I, it was, it was weird. I, I just got to the point where I learned very early on. I don't argue with people. I, I, I just, uh, two weeks, two weeks and two days before we opened, my youngest daughter got married and I had 15 people approach me at my daughter's wedding, which I thought was incredibly inappropriate. 13 of the 15 were negative. And they ranged in negative from, God, I don't have any, I don't know what you think you're doing, to my God, you coached my kid. I didn't realize you were a stoner. Oh, I didn't realize you were a pothead. And I'm like, so you know, two weeks before we opened, I, I learned very quickly, you know what? I'm just gonna shut up. You know, we're gonna change hearts and minds one one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, one customer at a time, one story at a time.
2: Yeah, so and, um- In Illinois, where I'm from, they're Ah. about to hand out 185 dispensary licenses by lottery to a very diverse social equity pool. People that have never owned a cannabis dispensary or cannabis business license before. If you, after seven years of operations, could talk to yourself back into the you know 2014, just won the license. You have to get going. What was what was some of the advice that you give yourself?
1: Well, I'd be more mentally prepared for the pushback for the negativity and the, and the sarcasm and the, um, and it was so funny too, because some of the, some of the most fervent intense criticism came from people who I know (laughs) they drank like fish. Uh, and I just thought, who the hell are you to be criticizing me? I mean, give me a break, but. Uh, Just kind of just kind of get the flak jacket on, get the mental flak jacket on and just get ready to take it, you know, and deal with it and uh, accept that. I was ready for the business aspects of it. Um, I was ready with inventory and uh, hiring. I'd, I'd been in the retail car business for 29 years, the last seven of which I was a general manager at a new car franchise dealer. So I was. I was used to regulation. We live in Washington state, very strong attorney general, especially with regards to new and used car sales. And that was my whole background. So I was used to authority. I was used to being regulated and kind of sat on and kind of not trusted. Um, So that wasn't really a big deal. The regulations with the LCB, even as oppressive and ridiculously restrictive as they are and constantly changing, um, I dealt with that pretty well. And uh, I didn't have a problem kind of checking my ego at the curb and just, you know, I, and I had, I, there was a lot of meetings that I was in that people it's legal now. Okay. So they want to be loud and proud, right? Cause pot, it's legal. So just kind of sticking it in people's faces. And I'm like, no, no, that's not how we're going to do it. That's not how I'm going to do it. We're going to, we're going to win. We're going to win the battle over a period of time by following the rules because all these all these expectations, all these, all the, the uptick in crime, the access to minors, uh, the people, it, the dumbing down of society, you know, why do we need something else to, we've got, we've got all kinds of alcohol. We've got all kinds of drugs. We've got, you know, all these oxy, this and oxy, that, why do we need something else in our society? That's gonna, and I, and I heard it all. I heard it all. So follow the rules, accept the rules, partner with your partner, with your enforcement folks, They're not the enemy in, I learned very early on, or at least I assessed us in Washington state very early on, you know, that we're all in this thing together. It's not retailers versus wholesalers. It's not retailers versus the enforcement folks, the LCB folks, the entire industry is, is, is the producers, the retailers, the processors, the labs, the enforcement folks, the folks who are for it and the folks who also are against it because in Washington state 502 initiative 502, which is what the rec law was uh, only passed 5545 across the state. If you pull, if you pull King County, Seattle out of it, it, it goes down even with Pierce County, Snohomish County, and I believe Spokane County passed it. It goes down. So we by no means had a mandate. You know, we did not have a mandate. We are, we are barely, barely in the majority right and in my county we weren't we went down in flames as far as 502 so you're you can't i mean in my opinion you have to really kind of check your ego you have to if the enforcement folks say you need to do this you say yes sir no sir yes ma'am no ma'am you jump you say how high on the way up kind of thing right doesn't mean you just kiss their ass but you respectfully deal with them i would one of the first things we did is form an association, the Washington Cannabis Association, I was actually the first dues paying member of WACA. And we, sh- we got very close to the LCB, very, very close. We were involved in rulemaking. We were involved in the, in the, in the, in the regulatory evolution of 502 in Washington state to a, in a big, big way. So form an association, follow the rules. The, if the rules were too restrictive, they were crazy. The tax situation, the, Josh, you probably remember 25, 25, 25, as far as the excise tax. We, we bundled all that together at the retail point of sale after the session in 2015. Um, you know, follow the rules. If the rules don't work and they're too oppressive and they're too tight, then respect respectfully deal in an association with the folks who make those rules and try to get those rules tweaked and changed. A lot of times th- there's a, fee- what what's interesting too, <laughs> You know i always do this there's so many layers to this <laughs> but
2: you're helping so many people they're going to be in this exact same boat and the regulators in illinois same thing they haven't had to deal with licensing this many entities ever before i mean right. this is a very small medical program done five years ago you know mm-hmm. yeah. well in washington state uh our our lcb the liquor and cannabis
1: board um you know they were they were alcohol only before 2014, right? It's not like we went out and hired a bunch of people that understood growing, processing, consuming cannabis. These guys were regulating, they were doing compliance checks for alcohol and tobacco. Well, come to find out, I I attended a meeting in Tumwater. It was, (laughs) I was kind of sold a Bill of Goods because it was supposed to be a meeting with the Department of Health to begin kind of formulating the medical rules, you know, because our medical our medical marijuana here in Washington State was kind of in shambles. It had never really been put together. It was sort of a mess. Um, so I, I walked into this room, and in actuality, what, what it was it was 26 mothers against everything, you know? I mean, mothers against drug driving, mothers against this, mothers against that. And it, I was informed that the LCB itself was about equally divided 50-50, as to whether or not there even should be adult use cannabis in Washington state. So the very regulatory agency were, were split down the middle about 50-50. And this was number four guy at the LCB that told me this. So I was like, huh, wow, that's, that, that was kind of shocking. So there are gonna be people in Illinois and other states as they come on. The regulators, the, the guys didn't get a pay raise. They had more responsibility. They were on the road more. They were, they were getting pressure. See, what happens is, you know, even at the state level, money talks in politics. So you got these hay growers here in Kittitas County. They make a lot of money. They make a lot of money. They, they were going to their politicians at the state level, the state reps, the state senators, and say, hey, you sit on these potheads, man. I don't, I don't like this at all. And the, and the whole thing nowadays you hear all the time, we're going to primary you? Well, they were doing that back in 2014, 15 and money talks. So if I, you know, at the state level, if I wrote a, a $1,500 check to your campaign that I'm a big contributor, I'm a Koch brother, man. I mean, I, that's a big deal. And so the, the the legislators and it was interesting, too, because they were they the Democrats in Olympia, they want they supported 502 but I can't tell you how many times I heard him say, you know what? I support this hundred percent. I'm so happy that we're going to do this. We just want to tax the hell out of you guys. Okay. The Republicans were personally against it personally, but they also had a great deal of respect for the fact that it was an initiative. So it was the will of the people. (laughs) You had opposing ideas that actually didn't work too badly. As it turns out, it really didn't work too badly. Kind of, opposing forces you know you lean on me i'll lean on you and that way we both stand up um but what would happen and these were all and josh you're aware of this seemed like especially early on there was an emergency rule every week and a half right there was some Ah. kind of this has got to be done this has got to be dealt with oh my god what's going what are we going to do here what are we going to do here well what would happen is the legislators would lean on the lcb The LCB would have to respond, even though technically the LCB, probably a smart move on Washington part. The LCB is part of the executive branch of the government. Theoretically, they don't answer directly to Congress. They answer to the governor. Okay, now that's not that's technically true, but it's not. In reality, there's pressure that's being brought to bear by by state legislators. And then they would tighten the screws. And then we would have to go back and say, okay, what are you worried about? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to avoid? What are you trying to accomplish? We can do that. I understand what you're trying to do, but here's a different way to do it that doesn't suffocate our businesses. You know, we can, we can accomplish what you want to accomplish, but let's do it this way. Let's do it less and a little more here and a little less there. So we, we tweaked and we worked it out and so that we could survive. You know, there was the, the balance of 2014. I actually lost money. In the four months the last four months of 2014 and it has to do with the theoretically we would have had to pay income tax on the excise tax that we were collecting that was actually oh, wow. written it was it was going to be shown technically as income to us now as it turns out it didn't turn out that way but the way the law was written until we changed it in first in the session the 2015 session uh, that was actually that was actually true but so you know, they're, they're, it's okay to have a, a healthy tension between regulators and regulated. That's fine. That's good. That makes sense. You can't get too chummy with your enforcement officer. You, you got to respect the position. You got to respect the job they have to do. You have to follow the rules. You know, we have a we have a great relationship with our enforcement officer. I don't hide from the guy. I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna order new checks, practically, I call him and tell him what I'm doing. <laughs> okay 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 you don't have to tell me this rob i know i just want to keep the lines of communication open i'm not afraid of you i'm not afraid when he walks in we're not oh my god the enforcement officer's here um just just do the right thing and 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 maintain maintain a relationship with your enforcement officer you know he'll he, he or she will appreciate that um and there's a fine line there because there needs to be a level of respect and you can't get too casual You know, but, but on the other hand, I, there's not, if you're not doing anything, there's nothing to be afraid of. So, and then there'll be a natural kind of a relaxation. The other thing that we did too, with our enforcement officers, we've had issues with fake IDs. Mm. So our enforcement officer has set up training for us to, to, to tell what fake IDs kind of look like We're by no means experts, but you know, it helps. It was a, and plus we want to do the right thing. When we had the fake IDs, we had, um, we had cameras everywhere but i installed i spent about 1500 bucks on a camera that was at the main cashier's desk that would get a face shot so if we came up with fake ids we communicated with the local police department and we actually had a couple we actually participated in a couple of kids that were that had fake ids my i know that kind of sounds like i'm a rat but Anything that was affecting the industry, anything that might potentially negatively affect the industry, could potentially negatively affect my livelihood, my family, my ability to make my mortgage payments, and everything else. And I wasn't going to stand for that. I wasn't going to stand for it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to have somebody. If I can do something about it, I'm not going to. I stand for the industry. The industry. And um, I know that sounds really cheesy, and ugh, you know, but it's it's kind of true. And the other thing was. We invited our enforcement officer to come back. We had, we had, uh, sorry about that. We had, uh, oh,
2: gosh, <laughs> we
1: had uh, fake. I mean, uh, uh, you know, money, uh, counterfeit money. Oh wow, oh. And so we 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 kind of went through. This was pretty early on. We went through some training and whatnot. We got some equipment, and whatnot, to kind of uh, to kind of work with that. So our enforcement officer was kind of part of our compliance team. You know, we we invited him. And the local police department i um when the the friday before we opened on monday august 25th i invited the chief of police the 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 sheriff city attorney city manager there was one more can't remember the oh maybe a state patrol representative and we met for a couple hours in our little shop here we weren't even open and it was really it was really interesting because they had so many misconceptions. They had so many fears that were groundless. It was amazing to me how little they knew. I thought they would know all about the security. I thought they'd know all about the, the, the ID and the 21 and the products and the, they didn't, they were kind of ignorant and they really appreciated the fact that we kind of explained how it was all going to roll out. They really did. And what was kind of, what was really One of the sweetest things that happened to me me in this in this whole seven years was the the chief of police couldn't make it. So he sent his captain. The captain was a 34 year law enforcement veteran who was just personally 100 percent against this. Right. So about an hour and 40 minutes in, he I mean, he's in full uniform, too, with the gun and everything. Right. I mean, he everybody else showed up in casual clothes, not this guy. He walks in in full cop uniform in a police car parked right out front. Huh. So, And I'm thinking, huh, well, that was kind of interesting. But anyway, after about an hour and 40 minutes, he, he had his arms crossed the entire time. You know, body language is, I ain't believing what you're telling me, bud. Yeah. And uh, anyway, finally, he says, oh, God damn it. I guess you guys are pretty good people. I think you're gonna do a good job with this. You just gotta give me a little time. It's 34 years of law enforcement working against me here. And uh. what I didn't know, and I found out about two weeks later, We had, uh, we're right next to a diner, kind of a really cool diner, kind of an American picker's dream. Uh, It's like set in the 50s, 60s. It's kind of that, it's supposed to be that kind of look. Well, there was a, there was an Ellensburg city cop that was, that was present for a good chunk of our day that we were open and they were always there at closing. They were all not, not right out front, kind of down a little bit, but they were, they were watching and. Finally, I was just curious. I just walked down there. I happened to recognize one of the officers. I I knew I knew about half a dozen of them pretty well. And I just went down and I said, "Hey Mike, I just got to ask you. why well, you're all you're here. Is there are you hearing something? Are you hearing I mean, are we being threatened and we don't know I mean, what's going on?" He says, "No, nah, the captain just posted a a memo at the station that he was concerned about our safety and to just kind of just kind of look in just give them a little extra presence, you know, for a while. And I just thought, here's the guy who was the most uncomfortable with it. And yet he was concerned about our, sa- there was a lot of talk about public safety, but nobody was thinking about our safety.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: it was the kids and the, and the people and <laughs> the resident, not us, you know, we didn't count for anything in the beginning. Yeah. And I just thought that was one of the nicest things, a really, really nice gesture and then he even said he said now mike's told me he said now listen i wasn't supposed to tell you that because nobody's supposed to know that especially you don't tell anybody the captain and don't say hey thanks for the action don't don't do it
2: he's not a subscriber to the channel
1: yeah 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 yeah. he had to pretend that he was against it but behind the scenes he was taking some steps some real tangible steps to take care of us and i just thought that was one of the coolest things you know
0: that is very cool so you started out with uh, MMJ. You had a dispensary, and then you ended up with a rec license. Is that the transition? So no, I, I, my
1: first, my first foray into this was was just 502. 40. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, my, <laughs> if experience in the product was was a prerequisite for owning a shop, I would have never qualified. <laughs> never, never.
2: Were you never. a first license winner, or did you later get your license with somebody else?
1: No, I, we were. Uh, we had seven qualified applicants here in Kittitas County, and they picked two. And we were the second one picked. First one to open, second one. We were actually number two pick.
2: So, so it's a lottery.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes.
2: How do you? Uh, how accessible was that lottery? This is going to be what happens in Illinois. There's approximately 500, 600 qualified applicants. They spent anywhere between 20000 and hundred and well, $200,000 on their applications. And it comes down to uh, uh, whether or not they are lucky and their number gets called. Uh, well, see, how, how much did you have to do on the front end? Okay.
1: It's interesting you're from Illinois, and it's interesting you brought that up because I think that's a horrible mistake in Washington state. And I don't think Washington state did this necessarily by design. I don't think they were so smart that they did this. They, they, they had forethought about this, but a, it costs 250 bucks to apply. Okay. $250. Anybody can come up with $250. Once you were chosen your license, our first license, I think was around 1150 bucks, 1150 bucks. So for 1500 bucks or less, I'm in 502. I'm in the business. When you start talking about 50, 70, 85, 90, 100,000, 200,000 bucks just for the application and/or license, well, that that just you know, and Diane Hendricks. We had a house, two cars, a pathetic little savings account, and a 401k. We weren't very hard to vet. We're not hard to control. You take a $200,000 commitment, that's before the building, before the the inventory. Now you're talking, what, a half a million, probably? Well, that, that really, that's a funnel effect. That reduces the number of people in our population that can possibly get into this. So who can? Rich people. Rich people have lawyers and accountants and they bury themselves, they insulate themselves with LLCs and subchapter S's and everything else, or it's an actual corporation that comes in and and applies. Well, that's a real problem. I think Illinois has been, like other states, has been really stupid in the fact that they seem to be excited about the money that's coming in from applications and and or licenses. Screw that! the The, the money's going to come from a well-run tax revenue situation. Make the industry again the industry successful, yeah. it'll be successful for all. Don't you know when? And, and then on top of that, Washington State did a lottery. Well, you can't be much more fair than 14, 1500 bucks, and then a lottery to boot.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean you can't you can't be much more fair than that.
2: I so had to draft. Yeah.
1: Any, in, you
2: know, uh, anyway. in, in order to apply in Illinois, and this sounds completely different than how the application process worked in Washington, I had a draft like an eight hundred thousand page application, twenty exhibits, all of it, all complete, one hundred percent compliant with uh, the others their statute and the regulations, and then you have to submit that. They rescored it four times. You had to go no. through and jump through all those hoops. And then it turned out to be a lottery.
1: Well, I, I've, I've actually got a consulting firm. I started a consulting company a couple of years ago, Cannabis Consulting Nationwide. And so I've got some clients in Illinois and I've got some hands-on experience with the application process. And I, I just, I don't know, I, I really tried. I tried so hard to get through the governor's office, the folks who are actually running the show, which is kind of interesting. I'm not quite sure who that is, to be honest. I mean, I know what the what the what the organization what the uh, the title of the government agency that is charged with that mm-hmm. um, and i i i could see i could see they were doing it all wrong they were doing it all wrong they're 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 too front loaded with what they're trying to do let's get the industry let's get the, the, the you know there's roughly in illinois i think has roughly double the population that washington state does okay and we're generating we're generating about 600 650 million bucks each now we got a thirty-seven percent excise tax, which is nuts, but it's still generating six hundred and fifty million dollars a year in excise tax alone. I mean, in, in Illinois, they could easily do seven eight hundred million a year in excise tax plus. I don't know if they have sales tax in Illinois. Oh yeah, the B&O, plus the LNI and everything else, and they're losing sight of the big picture. We're, we fully fund Medicaid, Josh. I, I believe this is still true in Washington state with excise tax revenue from, from 502.
2: I mean, they, now, the method that they could have used. And so like, you know, if you're watching in you know New Jersey, New York, or just as a regulator, uh, the, maybe the thing they should have done is after you've been awarded and you win, you know, they keep, they draw some alternatives and now you have a conditional license to go build that fricking brick that you have to pay a consultant like me or you $80,000 to do because it's 800 pages long and you have to get all the compliance and you have to show all the financials and then they'd give you like six months to get that and submit it and have it all checked off and then, you know, start building the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I, I just, I know that I know that states they think they're, they're beginning something that's still controversial. I, and I know a lot of people that are in the industry, a lot of people that have been involved in cannabis think that's ridiculous. But the cold hard facts are politicians and and, and people in government, they know that they're beginning to deal in something that's controversial. Well, what do you do when it's something that you think you're going to get some backlash? You're going to try to tie it down nice and tight so that you can you – can you can you've got your little force field up there you got your shield up there to defend yourself from the attacks well I understand what you I understand what you're saying John and Sally but this is what we did you know we're not going to let those stoners and those potheads get away with anything well you know we can't be under so much of a thumb you know it's still a business we have to survive we have to make some money and that's that benefits everybody that benefits everybody it's not just the tax the potential tax revenue but it's, that's, a, that's a big part of the equation, you know? Um, we're doing a lot of good here in Washington state and we have not seen an uptick in crime. We have not seen an uptick in access to minors. None of those things have, have come to fruition. They have not happened. They have not happened. And I would, I've, I've tried so hard to have a seat at the table when the regulators are put the regulatory framework together because I just see so many mistakes being made and it's being made out of fear. And out of a reaction to people who are against the normalization of cannabis in our society, so you're, you're, you know, it's kind of like if you want somebody, if you want somebody to do something that's at a five, you start off at a ten. Well, why don't we just, why don't we just start with the five in the first place? We're going to have some compromise. There's going to be some give and take. But Washington State, you know, we stumbled out of the gate pretty badly. We were kind of the laughing stock of the country. However, the 37% excise tax notwithstanding, I like what we've got right now. I really do. I think we've done it. I think we've done it pretty darn well, kind of by accident and by, you know, kind of fumbling and stumbling to get in there. But I think we've gotten there for the most part.
2: Yeah. And I, I take pictures. I was buying cannabis today in your guys' shops, and I'm just floored by the number of SKUs that you have. And they're on the walls. You can like see them through display cases. And that's what most people think when uh, they're trying to get a cannabis dispensary. They think that. And then I have to explain to them, that might work in a different jurisdiction, but you happen to be in Illinois. And so none of that will happen. You're going to have like a, a TV monitor that will have your menu. That's it. Everything else is in the safe, you know? Right. Rob, have
1: many There were stores that, st- yeah, we didn't have a lot of, as, as much... As many rules and regs and wax and RCWs as there were that we were trying to contend with and trying to understand and trying to adhere to, there was still so much that was kind of by the by the seat of your pants, you know, kind of thing. But a lot of people did do that. They you Right now, we can take, somebody wants, uh, hey, show me the one grand packages of the Blue Dream or White Widow or whatever. So we can lay three, three little packages out. obviously they can't they can't tear them open and smell them the way they used to with medical although we had that too initially we had people just rip it open you know I'm like wait a minute you don't go into Safeway and rip open a bag of potato chips to see if they're fresh I mean what the heck but anyway that's because I did not I didn't have a medical marijuana background you know that's just what we did we smelled it we looked at it we you know um I don't really. I forget where that was going exactly, but completely but different than
2: the package different. sold stuff that it is now. huh?
1: Yeah, and and now you know, and we got to be careful that the employee uh, not uh, shoplifting is that if, if you leave four of them out there on the counter and you turn around to go get something else, you know, what's to stop Joe Blow from sticking one in their pocket? You know, right, so yeah. we got to be smart about it, but there are still a lot of people that have stuff under lock and key They'll and you don't get to look at it you you want a gram of white widow you want this you want a cartridge they go and get it and they just give it to you and then they have a process whereby you know you don't actually get it in your hands until you've paid for it and exited you know they have an entrance and they have an exit we've always been um not loose but we've been casual we we haven't i don't want people i want people to feel comfortable when they're here i want the i want the and again that gets back to our age i want the 90 year old retired professor to feel just as comfortable here as the 21 year old you know guy who's i don't know rides motorcycles and and whatever you know the guy and i want everybody else i want everybody in between to feel good about being here you know so we've never been kind of a We started off, we had a kind of a bouncer and a card checker at the beginning, but yeah, it just turned out it wasn't necessary. I think it was overkill. So we just, we've been pretty casual, you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of, we, the thing I always tell all the employees is we kind of have to be, you've all seen the poster of the duck from the surface of the water. And he just looks like he's just kind of doing this, but under the surface, his little feet are just going like crazy. Well, we have to look, we have to be friendly, we have to be smiling, we have to be engaging, but we also have to be alert and smart, you know, looking for counterfeit money, looking for fake IDs, looking for, you know, being smart about leaving stuff on the counter and giving people opportunities to to, to take it. You know, we gotta be smart, you know, but we're human, We everybody, we're very human, you know, so we, I know we make mistakes, I know we do, but you know, I I, I still feel like our customers feel good being here and I, I like that,
2: I like right. that. You, you said you're one of two uh, winners in Centralia. So that means there's only two shops in there?
1: No. Uh, there were, there were, there were going to be, what the heck, there was going to be two in Ellensburg proper and four in the county, oh. I think is what it was initially. Okay. That was back in May of 2014. Well, so we opened first. The other winner in Ellensburg opened almost exactly a year later And there were two shops in the upper county, uh, Cleellum area. I don't know if you know Kittitas County, but, um, and then in, it would have been, help me out, Josh, uh, they added 50% to the total number of the stores. We went from 338 um, 502 retail shops to 555 licenses because we weren't dealing with the medical community. So they decided to add 50% just arbitrarily. Uh, So then we had a third store in in Ellensburg proper and a third store outside of Ellensburg proper six in the county in total. So now we have six, um, which is which I fought I really did fight that uh, because I knew that we were servicing the medical community. It it wasn't like it was rec on one side and medical on the other. They were definitely co mingling and people were buying recreationally for medicinal purposes, you know. um, I thought that was kind of silly, but you know, whatever.
2: Yeah.
0: So, what would you do uh, differently? Like, if you were to go to Illinois, you know, for maybe even for the uh, being an advisor, um, what are you advising for new entrants in the East Coast? So, either what would you do differently if you had the time to do over again, or you know, how would you apply that to a new market?
1: Well, the mistake i've made is i've tried to split myself into two or three different people i've tried to i've tried to have us have a seat at the table to advise and give counsel and advice to the regulatory folks i've also tried to get with folks who are thinking about getting in the business and i've and i've tried to get with people who have already applied and they're in the application process um i think i think it all starts with you know it's like building a house the foundation has to be the foundation in illinois is the application licensing process, and I think that's I think that's kind of messed up. Um, I don't know what we do about it now because it's like you know closing the gate and the horse has already run five miles away. I don't know if we can change that now. I just think the focus was just all wrong. I just think it was all wrong. Um, people that get into this business, and I'm a perfect example of this. I'm not a I'm not a bad guy. There are people that just kind of think the only people that are going to own pot stores get into that whole business are kind of, kind of shaky people to begin with. And that's just wrong. That's just not true at all. Um, I, I I wish that, I wish that we could spin the clock back and I wish that we could just make, it would be talk about equity. It would be so much easier if the fees were 2,500 bucks, then everybody, anybody could get into it, into the mix, right? You don't have to worry about equity. You don't have to worry about being fair, not you know, cause everybody's going to have a great shot, but you eliminate people. The more those fees go up, you just, you're having the opposite effect that you think you're going to. And then you try to fix it with all these rules and regulations and applications. And then you, then you do a lottery. Well, you know, you, these people aren't going to get that money back. You know, that's, I, that's crazy. That's crazy. Go to Las Vegas. if you want to gamble like that? Mm-hmm. Your odds are better. Yeah. I, I, I wish there was a way to roll back clock and just, okay, what do we want to, what do we, you got to focus on the end in the beginning, you know, what do we, what do we want this industry to look like? What do we want it to do? How do we want it to be run? What do we want it to look like? And I don't think, I don't think anybody had a flipping clue what they wanted it to look like. I don't think they couldn't have because they wouldn't have done it this way, but that's just, that's just one guy's opinion. I don't know if I answered your question, but. Um in Illinois, I would I would think real hard about even getting involved in it in the first place. Now you already see kind of a fracturing. You it's pretty hard for, you know, governors and 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 speakers of the house and people like that to admit that they kind of did this wrong, but they are kind of admitting that they did it wrong because they're changing what they're doing. You know, I just wish there was some the one thing about and Again, I, I, I live in Washington State, I've been involved in this business in Washington State. Our LCB, our regulatory body, the Liquor and Cannabis Board, there are employees that could be real pieces of work, okay? No doubt about it. But the guy who ran it, and I don't know if Rick Garza is actually retired, I haven't been, I haven't talked with Rick Garza in probably 18 months, but Rick Garza probably not the greatest leader in the world okay but he was very humble he did not have a problem saying you know what i don't have all the answers and he got input from a variety of sources and that was very helpful that was very beneficial we kind of reciprocated by showing him a lot of respect for the fact that he was the director of the lcb But it was pretty cool when he would say, Listen, man, I I don't, I mean, privately, he wouldn't necessarily go on Cairo TV, you know, but he would say privately, Guys, how are we going to do this? I'm getting pressure from the governor. I'm getting pressure from constituents. I'm getting pressure from some of the more powerful state uh, uh, politicians, elected officials. How do we do this? We'd say, Well, we could do this. We could do this. We could do that. We could do this. We'll accomplish what you want to do. And we never had a problem making him look like a hero you know, an organization is only going to be successful when nobody gets credit for, you know, who did things great. I mean, I don't really care if it's, if it's Josh that gets the credit for something that happens that's great for me in 502 in Washington state. I don't care. I shouldn't, you know, but politicians, they're glory hogs. You know, they're, you put a microphone in front of them and a TV camera in front of them. And all of a sudden the wheels can just come off very quickly. And, uh, politicians are a weird bunch i'm telling you and i come out
0: of i came out of the retail car business (laughs) um so So let's wrap it up with uh, this question what are your crystal ball predictions what do you think that might happen in the industry either this year or next year uh what do you think might happen nationally or, or globally any crystal ball predictions from you rob well, obviously
1: we reached the tipping point with regard, you know, the, 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 the polls all indicate that the American people are in favor of legalization at the federal level. They think that they think the incarceration rates are stupid. They think it's really crazy that the, the, the federal government has patents on cannabis, and yet they're restricting what we can do in the in the industry, you know, nationwide. That all being said, however, and certainly the Democrat Party uh, are all in favor of, of, of legalization partly I went back to Washington DC one time and I and I had the opportunity to meet with Elizabeth Warren and Elizabeth Warren um no friend of Mitch McConnell right at least not publicly but the thing that she talked about when we met was you know I just I just met with Mitch's tax guy we met with Elizabeth for about an hour and a half she was wonderful actually and she had just met she had just come from a meeting with Mitch McConnell's tax guy you know they have a big staff I don't really know how all that works but they were coming up with like a trillion dollars a year nationwide with a 10% excise tax on cannabis sales. Well, what do, what do politicians, whether you have a D behind your name or an R behind your name, what do they love? New programs and tax revenue, right? Or vice versa. Well, it was very, it was very interesting. So again, you've on, you've got, you've got some, some, some positive pressure developing at the federal level but the current president has made it fairly clear that he that's just not a priority for him at all you know a lot of progressive ideas a lot of left-leaning you know conservative liberal liberal ideas but that's just not one of them so i don't really think i still think we're two to three years away from kind of a blanket legalization um and I'm not even sure, it'll probably wind up being run kind of like alcohol, interstate transportation is still gonna be a problem, you know, for resale purposes anyway, um, and it should be, it should be. Um, I don't have any problem with, with uh, you know, whether it's the car business, whether it's the real estate business, whether it's the cannabis business, there's bad apples. There's people who will push the rules, break the rules, don't give a crap about the rules. The, the, more, the more people you can get in, The business that are professional and business people, community members. uh, That I I really believe that again the big two hundred thousand dollar applications and corporate and all this kind of stuff, you you lose you lose some of that community involvement. I mean I'm very visible. I'm just it's just a small town. I get that it's not Chicago, but you got to be on the ground. You got to be talking to folks. You've got to be dealing with criticisms. You've got to be talking to local enforce- law enforcement. The cops have got to be on your side. The community's got to be on your side. And it's not going to happen overnight. But you need people who are, who are out there and who live in the community, who have kids in the community, who have coached in the community. And I think you lose a lot of that one-on-one, that personal touch when you have these huge application fees. I, I, I think it's all the way around. I think it's crazy. I can't see anything good about it.
2: Oh. Again, I'm not sure if
0: I answered the question, but- Oh, it was perfect. Do <clears throat> you have any links uh, where they can find you if anybody wants to visit Ellensburg, Washington and, and check out your rec shop or uh, and your consulting?
1: Well, my consulting is called CCN, Cannabis Consulting Nationwide. It's not much of a business at this point. Um, I, I'm, I love to talk to people. I'm talking to people in Bermuda, Oklahoma, Arizona. I'm talking to people all the time, but I haven't really generated a lot of income yet. <laughs> And again, you know, I don't really care about that. That sounds crazy. And that sounds cheesy as well. I don't mind making a few bucks, but I, I've got to be in a situation where I, I, I do feel like I'm a, I'm a resource that is completely underutilized and it's really been funny. It's funny to crack the government regulatory folks, not just in Illinois. It's like, don't confuse it with the facts, you know? I know you probably could be a big help, but I don't really want to talk to you because you're too well-rounded and, and I got to be focused on my agenda. I, I don't know, it's been very, been very strange, the walls that have been put up. Um, you know, here we are, Colorado obviously was first, Washington State was second. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a veteran, really, in this industry, in the country. I have zero violations. I don't have the biggest shop in the world. I don't even have the biggest shop in the county. But I, I have, I'm, I'm a success the way I define success, and I, I would, I would love to be able to take that model and make it everywhere because we're our, our mission statement is to be the model recreational marijuana store in Washington State, not the biggest, not the most profitable, the model, and I think we've done that. I think we've done that, and I could duplicate that. I could, I could. There's no doubt in my mind I could do that, and I, but a lot of this a lot of this the groundwork for the regulatory frameworks being laid by people who either don't have a clue or they're completely building up against anticipated criticisms and perhaps even being voted out of office and that's a problem that's a problem you're not really going to get and that's a problem in all kinds of issues that we're dealing with across the country when people are worried about keeping their job and not doing their job you know i i think it's a real problem but i i would i would love i would love to try to help and and the help is would be best utilized in the ground uh, laying you know for us it was 2012 and 2013 here in washington state we had to fix a lot of stuff that some folks did wrong they basically just copied and pasted the alcohol rules from 1937 they just crossed out alcohol and put marijuana I mean and somebody got paid 250,000 bucks to put that deal together I mean that that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life you know I so we 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 kind of stumbled but we we got it figured out I, I like what we're doing here now and I and a lot of it the heart of it is at the at the at the applicant level and who can get in and who can do this uh, this is not rocket science. This is not, there's so many regulations and so many rules. I can only buy from 502 suppliers. I can't go across the country and shop for better. I mean, there's, there's not really the typical business capitalism, you know, economies of scale, you know, blah, blah, blah. We have to pay cash for everything. There's no credit. You can only buy from 502 suppliers' processors. Um, everything we sell has to be in traceability. Uh, with the exception of lighters and stuff like that that are that are used to consume the product. Um, but I, I don't know, I like what we've done. I just I just see these states coming on board and I, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have cannabis. We got a cannabis industry, we're progressive, we're smart, we're moving forward, but the design is just shitty and the house is gonna fall apart mm-hmm. without that foundation being solid. You know, the fancy windows and the second floor doesn't do you any good if your foundation's cracking. You know so i know that's
0: again, appreciate um, your insights rob we're going to put uh, the links in the description uh, in the show notes so people can get a hold of you um so, so yeah definitely appreciate your time so i think with that we're going to roll this one up want to pre- uh want to thank our guests rob Hendricks, uh as well as uh, uh tom howard and miggy 420 of cannabis legalization news i'm josh king with the talking hedge don't forget to like share and subscribe or don't And I'm out. Thanks, guys. We're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis
2: podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
1: Hi, I'm Gary and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.